Okay, 1 Samuel 24. David is on the run again. After he slew Goliath, the king, King Saul, gave David his daughter in marriage. He gave him a place at the table of uh, the king's table, the banquet table, where he could eat every night. He gave him a regiment uh, in his army to be commander of it. But uh, Saul, uh, the spirit having departed from him, became jealous and began to try to murder David. And he began a truly bloodthirsty uh, pursuit of David's life. And, and we saw uh, last week so bloodthirsty, one of the most heinous uh, acts in the whole ba- uh, Bible. He kills um, all the priests in the, where, in the city Nob where the tabernacle uh, resided at the time and their wives and their children and nursing infants because uh, he wrongly thought that they were conspiring with David against him. And uh, one of the priests, Abiathar, was able to get away and so they, the priestly line would continue. But David then takes off and we saw him last week uh, in various places in the wilderness. He's living in rock you know, behind rocks and crannies and thickets and and caves and 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 it says, I think, significantly in First Samuel twenty-three, verse fourteen, it says Saul sought him every day. And one of the things I I I exhorted you in last week is is this: be on your watch because Satan seeks you every day to trash your witness, to, uh, to, to defile the reputation of the Lord by some act on your part of uh, betrayal or unfaithfulness or disobedience to the Lord. Satan seeks you every day and we need to understand that our God is greater. Your God is greater. First John 5.18 says, um, the born-again Christian, it, it says, if you keep yourself in the love of God, the evil one cannot touch you. Cannot. If you keep yourself. It, it keep yourself referring to John 15, the, the abiding with the Lord. Remembering whatever else is going on around you, whatever temptation or whatever craziness. He's the vine, you're the branch. If you take in that sap, um, Satan's not going to be able to touch you, 1 John 5.18. One of the most encouraging verses, I think, in the Bible. And and, uh, David living by that principle, uh, but nevertheless, it's an extremely difficult time uh, for him. Very confusing time. If I'm... He has been anointed king at this point and no doubt uh, thinking if I'm supposed to be king and I'm supposed to have the favor of God, why on earth is God making me live like that? Well, listen, he's being trained and so are you, Calvary Chapel. The Bible says by this, my, uh, John 15, 
uh, Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. But before we can bear much fruit, there's a lot of pruning. There's a lot of uh, going through the desert experience. Um, just like uh, just like we see uh, David and Samuel. So in chapter four, verse, uh, 24, verse 1, it says, Now it happened when uh, Saul had returned from the following the Philistines that it was told him, D- Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. I understand in this area, and Gedi, I understand it's a, uh, a stunningly beautiful part of Israel. Uh, there, there's a lot of caves in that area. David, I think he has four, I can't remember if he has four or six hundred men by now, but uh, you got to put, when you're hiding four hundred men and their families, you got to hide them somewhere. And so they would hide out in these caves. And so Saul, verse 3, says he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and he went in to attend to his needs. In other words, he was going in to go to the potty. Uh, And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him, because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and he went on his way. I'll just continue reading and then we'll come back. David arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, My Lord the King, and when Saul looked behind him, David stood with, the, with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord deliver you into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? 
Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and delivered me out of your hand. And so remarkable scene here. A remarkable scene. David uh, hiding out in the cave. He's innocent. He's an innocent man. He's done nothing but support Saul. He saw, was Saul's greatest uh, supporter, his greatest warrior. But as we have quoted before, the proverb says, anger is cruel, fury is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I got to tell you, the evil that happens with jealousy and the extent of, of, of things that someone will do, Saul's chasing him all over Israel. He's chasing a man who's a friend of his just because of what Satan, Satan stirs up in his mind. Calvary Chapel, it's so important that you spend time in prayer every day. And that person who, uh, you know, in, in your mind, you're, you're fretting, you're upset at, you've you got to take it in prayer before the Lord and, and say, Lord, am I really... Is my heart right towards this person so that the Lord reveals to you and so that you don't go around behaving like a Saul? And, and, and what bitterness does, it ruins our health and it winds up affecting everyone around us. Saul's chasing David. Uh, he goes into a cave that David is hiding in and he as, you know, he's relieving himself and David's in there and one of the uh, one of his leaders says to him, one of the men that was with him says to him, this is exactly the, the day that the Lord told you about that I'm going to deliver your enemy into your hand. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting here. Uh, as we see, David, it says in verse 7, restrains his servants from trying to get him to do kill Saul or trying to kill Saul themselves and uh, there's a number of different lessons here that are just so important to the Christian life uh, the the one is is that you know he goes on to say here uh, he goes on to say to his servants the other men who are with him God forbid that I should do this thing and and stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. See, he understood what we have been learning about Calvary Chapel in Romans 13, the principle of authority. And that in a very real way, regardless of what that boss, what that husband, what that mayor, uh, you know, regardless of how poor their character may be, it's still an office of authority and the Bible says in Romans 13 and throughout the Bible really that God put him in that, uh, that authority. And he, it, he, he even gets guilty when he cuts off a little bit of Saul's robe. And, and he, he, he has that tender conscience uh, before him that, that uh, wow, I, I did this and and, and, you know, the Lord's put this person over me and I just insulted him by, by, by doing this. And, 
you know, the first time you read this story, you, what in the world is going on? Like, the, Saul's been trying to kill him for so long, he has every right to kill Saul. And, 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 and this is why, folks, it's so, so important that we don't live our life by, by rights, governed by rights that we have been given to by men. Because it is true that the, even the principle of self-defense, someone, if, you are, if someone's threatening to kill you and it may imminently kill you, you do have the right to kill them. And, and David had every right to kill them, but it was not what the Holy Spirit was asking him to do. Number one, he was respecting the office above him, the office of authority above him. And uh, regardless of the behavior of the people who are above you, you need to treat them with a respect. Ephesians chapter 5 says, uh, ladies, it says, uh, uh, look, regardless of how your wa- husband is treating you, because of the office that they're in, you must treat them with respect. And First Peter ch- chapter 3 says you do that, and eventually you'll win them over uh, with, with, you know, with prayer and also serving them. Um, but very, very uh, important here. You know, I, this story means a lot to me because I messed this one up so bad. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Robert Fountain in Miami Beach, I remember he came, he sent us up. I, I was born here, moved all around the world actually, and, uh, or several, several places, and um, wound up in Miami where I first learned of Calvary Chapel, became an assistant pastor, and, um, and Robert, Pastor Robert Fountain sent us up here uh, to, uh, to wait on the Lord, see if he might start a church here, and... Um, he came up here about three or four years, uh, maybe three years after we started the church. And in front of the whole church, he, he said that um, because of a time where I had confronted uh, the state of his marriage, uh, that there were eventually radical changes happening in his marriage. And he, he told our whole church that. Uh, but he didn't say the whole story. <laughs> Uh, and some of you have heard this before, but I think it, 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 it bears um, me sharing again. Uh, what, what was going on is that he was having deep trouble in his marriage. And it was very confusing to me that my own pastor, uh, because I was so young, and I, I, I say so young, I, I, had been, I, I had been walking with the Lord for, um, for about five or six years, but I, I, I hadn't really, I was still so young that I didn't realize Pastors go through the same stuff everyone else does. And so what my pastor and his wife were having um, what looked to us to be very serious mar- marriage problems. And his wife, Elizabeth, was, was sharing some things with Stephanie. And, and so um, a- one day I came and, and confronted him w- with that. I, I, I told him, look, you know, here's what's going on. And I laid out, and this had been going on for about a year, and uh, it was very, very confusing, again, because I was, I, I, I was immature in my experience. And so um, I said, you're doing this, 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 and, and, and this, is, this is situation's not good. Well, you know, he, what happened was he, uh, uh, the next day, um, he came to me and said, I don't agree with anything you said. 
not a single thing do I agree with. And instead of saying and respecting the office of pastor over me, saying, okay, you know, um, uh, if you don't uh, agree with it, I'll, I'll continue to pray, but um, I've done what I think I should do and should have done and, and, and told, told you about it. Instead of doing that, um, I became very upset and angry, and I just bolted from him. I just said, enough of you. You know, and, and in my heart, I'm just thinking, just, just fear is coming in. What's going to happen if this marriage goes down? The whole church will go down. And I became very, very angry and fleshy, and I just bolted. I ditched him. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he uh, came a, a few weeks later. I was an elder. Brian Vandercody was an elder. Pastor Brian from Peru, many of you know. Uh, they came to me and they said, look, uh, because, because of your, your behavior and the pride that, that you have and that you exhibited through your response, uh, I'm sorry, you, you can't be assistant pastor anymore. You're going to have to sit down and rest for a while. And it, it just really, really upset me. And I became very angry. And I, I, I think I bolted again out of the room. Just ve very disrespectful for the office. And um, within a, a, a few days of that happening, uh, by the grace of God, the Lord came to me and showed me what I had done, which was the exact opposite of what David had done here. Uh, he, 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 David, incredibly merciful spirit towards Saul, respecting the office of authority over him. And I got to tell you, I remember even being down, just prostrate on the ground, and I felt like the world on top of me. So great was the guilt that I had. And so I wound up apologizing to um, Robert with tears. And uh, eventually I was, um, you know, they reinstalled me in ministry as a, as a pastor. And, and uh, you know, Robert and I are, are best friends today. We were on the phone every other week in a prayer call, among many other, many other things. Um, but it, it really taught me about the principle of authority, that I need to remember to treat those who are in authority over me with the utmost respect. And uh, I, I remember, it's, it's really, really interesting. Some of you saw Keenan Nix last Friday night. Um, Keenan Nix last Friday night uh, at the, uh, on the race panel. What happened after my episode with, with Robert was uh, I sought counsel in, in many people. Uh, just like David got counsel from some people here. And what did they say? Kill him. Kill him, kill him, kill him. And I sought counsel from, from other, uh, other men of God. And they all said, leave. Leave that church. That's a mess. I mean, you don't belong in that church. Uh, with a pastor like that, except for one person. <laughs> and who do you think that might be? It was Keenan Nix, who you saw on Friday night, and you saw how intense he was. And I've been telling people, Keenan's like that in front of 500 people or one person. And if I could tell you how many times right in front of my face he was, he was like that. And Keenan told me, after I described to him um, what what had happened? What I had done to Robert become angry? He, he said, "When you reached out and touched that man and struck him, you struck God." And 
he just looked me right in the eye and I knew he was right. And uh, just so, so important that we be very careful because the people in authority over us were put there uh, uh, intentionally by God to humble us, to teach us, to grow us up in the faith so that we can be fruitful uh, someday. And so, uh, very, very important here. But notice there were people, just like there were with me, there were people... uh, telling David, no, no, you got to kill him. And, and even bringing the, uh, the name of the Lord into it. Again, violation of the third commandment. Verse 4, this is the day that the Lord said, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand. No. And so David refrained from doing it. It's so important that, uh, that, that we leave vengeance to the Lord. What have, we, what have we been learning in Romans chapter 12 and 13? Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Do not avenge yourselves. That's what it says. It it says, but rather give place to wrath, meaning vengeance is God's alone. And actually we'll see it in the next chapter, uh, in chapter uh, 25, when, when we in our flesh uh, try to take vengeance, we always overdo it. Uh, and uh, we've got to be very, 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 very careful uh, with that. Um, the, the other thing, the other thing that's so important here is if he had killed, da- uh, rather if David had killed Saul at this time, I mean, uh, eventually, you know, Saul, uh, God is going to take Saul out in the timing that God wants. And uh, and no one would ever be able to accuse David. Well, you only became king because you yourself killed the king. And uh, you could imagine how difficult it might have been to unite Israel under those circumstances. But, but I- I- in this particular case, David waited. He waited for the Lord to take vengeance. He waited on the Lord's timing for himself to become king. Remember, he knows he's going to become king someday. Uh, in fact, eventually Saul is going to himself tell him that. But the timing David leads leaves rather to the Lord. And and um, you know, a, a, as I was preparing in preparation for this sermon, and and ra- actually after the the sermon on Sunday morning. One of the things that really uh, struck me, has struck me about teaching through uh, Romans chapter uh, 12 and 13, where you have such a radical kind of love, where you see things like, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Wow. Where do we ever see that? We see things like repay no one evil for evil. Verse 17 of Romans 12. We see things like, beloved, do not avenge yourself. We see things like, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 21 of Romans 12. Overcome evil with good? Where do you see that? 
And then the last two Sundays, chapter 13, verse 8, owe no one anything except to love them. In other words, we're always in debt. Always in debt to love everyone we're around. And even after we love them, we're still in debt to love them more. And even if we love them then, we're still in more debt with them. And I began to think of parenting and Christian parenting and the reports that are in many places of, of all the kids who they, they grow up and from evangelical homes and they leave, uh, they leave the, uh, the faith. And, and, and many of them do come back, but, but, but some or a good number of them do not. And I think about the question that that so often kids, when they become of age, it's usually in their mid to late teens, all of a sudden a question dawns on them. Wait a second. <laughs> How do we know our religion's right? And what's the difference between our religion and every other religion? And, you know, there's many, many answers to this question, but I, I've always thought the best one is very simple. Have your children... And I know I'm speaking to a lot of young parents. Have they seen a distinct Christian life in which the love that they see in the home is different than every other religion, every other human philosophy in the world? Do they see in the home parents who live by the principle, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse? Or do they hear you bad-mouthing politicians that you don't like? Do they hear you bad-mouthing your boss or your co-workers? The Bible says, owe no one anything except to love them. Parents, when a neighbor comes by and I don't know, they're, or they're a neighbor all of a sudden, we're in Boston, our houses are close to each other and they just, yeah, I don't know, they hire a rock band and they're playing until one in the morning. Is it all about your rights? Is it all about, uh, you know, wait a second, this is my house, my space, my time to sleep? Is that what your children hear from you? Or might they hear, you know, this is happening. Maybe God has a purpose in it. Maybe there's a unique way I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I guess what I'm saying, Calvary Chapel, and, and I, I may very, I, I'm probably going to take this up again on, on Sunday when we're in Romans 13. Are your children seeing a distinct kind of love so that when they do go out and leave the home, and look around. They don't see the same thing that they saw in your house. They, what they saw in your house was something so distinct, so wonderful, so otherworldly, so under, unlike every other religion. The light bulb's going to go off in their head. You know something? I do come from a house that worships the one true living God. There's no name. And when uh, the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 4, there is no name under heaven and earth by which men may be saved except for Jesus Christ. That's really true. There really is no other name where there's a, a, a truth 
that is part of that name that is so distinct, so otherworldly, so supernatural. Where in the world do you read stories like this in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, where this man literally, Saul, had killed an entire city of priests and all their wives and children and nursing infants, and still David holds back and he dares not take vengeance because he knows the Bible says you leave your vengeance to me that's what God says and so a remarkable remarkable story and uh, so many lessons here look when there's there's other people in your life they may love you and be giving you counsel that makes all the sense in the world because you know look you know look Steve you, you, you you really need to be doing this and otherwise you're really going to be harmed. You're putting yourself in harm's way. Be careful. Take it to the Lord. Make sure uh, the path that you are on, um, uh, make sure that it's the Lord's way and once it's the Lord's way, don't be swayed by others' opinions. Even sometimes, as in my case with with my pastor, even some case with godly people will tell you will give you advice that is, is not of the Lord. And so um, uh, we, want to, uh, um, we want to continue here. David says to Saul, you know, he, a- after Saul gets out of the cage, David bows down before him, before him shows him the cloth, says, look, Saul, I could have killed you and I didn't. Well, what was Saul's response? Verse 17, it says, Then Saul said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? I mean, this is just unheard of. Uh, it, even today, much less the, the ancient world and the barbaric world that was. Shall a man who finds his enemy let him away get sa- safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Wow. See, the, the integrity of David was such a powerful, powerful argument. And, and, and brothers and sisters, uh, do we need to speak with our words? Absolutely, we do. But I tell you, Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, A a witness, a life of integrity is such a powerful argument for you that you do worship the one true God, that that you're walking in the will of God and that your life is a witness that should be followed. Verse 21, Therefore, swear now to me by my Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home but David and his men went up 
to the stronghold. So uh, Saul, he knows, deep in his heart, he knows that his days as a king are numbered, although there will be many more years. He, he knows that he's no longer under the favor of God. And he makes David swear, look, you know, when you're king, please don't kill all my descendants because that's what kings did at that time, or new kings would kill the old king's descendants. And David swears that he will not do that. Chapter 25 uh, says this. It says, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. You know, this is a, a significant uh, event as well. Samuel here, uh, he, he dies. Remember uh, the verse from Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 1 where God says to Jeremiah Israel is in so much rebellion he says even if Moses or Samuel were here I would not relent from my um, from my judgment of, of Israel and uh, that is a testimony to this guy I mean he was just an amazing guy and I think that it is important to pause here and and you know Samuel dies here and and remember that he he finished well he finished well you know he uh to just the very end he was faithful to the lord even though there he had little company during his life if you remember he grew up in the house of eli he grew up and uh Hophni and Phineas were Eli's, the high priest Eli's sons who were living incredibly wicked lives, sleeping with the women who came to, with their families to give sacrifices, stealing from the people. This is what Samuel saw. This was like the best Israel could offer, the, the priestly class. This is what they were doing. And then, of course, it w he grows a little older. Israel is in rebellion, asked for a king, a king like Saul. I mean, Saul is a wicked guy. Israel asked for them. He, uh, they asked for a king like him, a king like the other nations. Uh, he uh, just saw the behavior of, 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 of Saul himself, you know, and he, he would mourn and lament the worse Saul's behavior was, but he always stayed with the Lord his whole life. He stayed with the Lord, the witness of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important, you know, I, uh, the, the, my, favorite, I, my, my favorite testimony of all times, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of testimonies. My favorite of all time is uh, Dan Finfrock uh, came to our church. Dan is a, a person who travels to countries all over the world and teaches pastors how to teach the Bible. One of the it's one of the most fruitful, if not the most fruitful ministry I've ever seen, ever. Dan Finfrock's ministry travels all over the world and has taught to literally been now tens of thousands of pastors 
around the world, teaches them how to, to teach the Bible. But he came to our church one time. He gave his testimony. He said, uh, I gave my life to the Lord when, I think he said, when I was like five years old and I've walked with God my whole life. I had four children. Each of my children became Christians at a young age. And every one of them, is to, they're all adults, but they're walking with the Lord today. And uh, by the way, one of them did pass away in an, uh, tragically in a motorcycle accident. But that is the most outstanding witness that I've ever heard in my whole life. You know, one, and it's the witness of Samuel here. Uh, Samuel doesn't have a whole lot of company, but he's able to stay with the Lord. Why? Because he understands that God always provides. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 says uh, God gives us everything we need for a life of godliness. Everything we need God gives it. But I tell you when you're in a day like today that we're in where there's so much divisiveness in the secular world so much divisiveness and horrendous angry ungodly unchristlike defiant behavior in the body of Christ. It's like, what do I do, Lord? What the Lord is telling you, what he's telling me is, look at the life of Samuel. He said, he followed me and he walked with me until he died. And what a great witness. Because sometimes, you know, in the body of Christ, I, I tell you what, I, I love testimonies. I, I love testimonies. But, but more often than not, when you hear a testimony, because we live in such a fallen world, we hear testimonies like, yeah, I, I, you know, I was on a motorcycle gang and I, 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 I uh, used to drink a quart of whiskey um, every single night and I used to shoot up when I got up in the morning and I was in constant fights and I cheated and I stole and I, you know, I was in gang riots in prison. And, and then, you know, the Lord came and saved me. And uh, those are great testimonies. I, I, I will love those testimonies for the rest of my life. I, I, I love hearing every single one of them. But there is a great danger. And that is this. The best testimony is the testimony of Samuel. Where someone does not go to the right or, to the, uh, or the left. Doesn't mean they don't sin. They, all, they, they most certainly did sin. Um, uh, Samuel did and as well as obviously Moses and, 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 and everyone else in the Bible. The Bible teaches that. But there's that wonderful testimony that the Lord is faithful. If you're willing to walk in obedience, Calvary Chapel, he will supply the Holy Spirit, which will allow you to do so. And so uh, what, a, what an, a remarkable guy. This guy, uh, Samuel, it says he dies now and he's gathered Israel, laments for him, and, and buries him in his home in, in Ramah. So it says that in verse 1 that David arose and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. It says there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Now for at that time that would have been an extraordinarily wealthy individual. 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal. 
and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. In other words, David had been protecting Nabal's sheep, and Nabal had shepherds up there, and David says, ask your own shepherds. Uh, we, we, we protected them. Uh, there, there's raiding bands of bandits at this time in Israel, and uh, uh, that was a real, real issue, and we'll see a little later, Nabal's own servants confirm what, uh, what David uh, is saying here in verse 8. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give, a, give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So he's saying, hey, look, you know, we've been out here. We've been protecting your, your sheep from raiding bands and this type of thing. Would you please be willing to give us something um, for our efforts out here? Verse 9, so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from their master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Verse 13, Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded his sword, and about 400 men went with David, two, 200 stayed with the supplies. There you have it, it's 600 men by now. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David's messengers, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. And he reviled them, meaning he insulted them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by, ni both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. So what they're telling, uh, some of them secretly go to a Abigail, and they say, look, he insulted David, even though all the time we had our sheep in the, you know, in the areas, it would have been really miles around the area. David protected us. He says they were a wall between us and the raiding bandits. 
verse 17, they continue with Abigail. And they say, Therefore, no one consider what you will do, Abigail, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he, meaning Nabal, is such a scoundrel that one cannot even speak to him. In other words, his servants knew, everyone knew. You couldn't even reason with the, the master. You couldn't go to the master and say, hey, wait, why didn't you give anything to David? He, he's just been protecting all, you, all, you know, all, your, all your sheep. That wasn't going to do any good. Then Abigail made haste. And she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, Five seals of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. So she made sure to have dessert. And loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under the cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that he belongs to him, and that he has repaid me evil for good. Remember what we just read in Romans. Overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. So here we see David faltering significantly. As we have seen in the past, David has his ups and downs as he's in God's training field. And then he says in verse 22, this is what he had declared prior to Abigail seeing him. He said, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Uh, and so here you see David uh, and we've seen this before, right? We saw it in, in times past with his lying. That uh, on, on the one hand, he would do a tremendous feat, F-E-A-T, of faith with, with Goliath and tremendous uh, feats of courage against the Philistines. But then when he's on the run and, and he goes into the, land, uh, to the city of Nob with Ahimelech, the high priest, what does he do? He lies. He lies to him, and then he lies again, uh, and then again, and so uh, it, it winds up resulting in the death of many. So we we he's in a, he's in the training fields now. God is training him to be king, and so he has his ups and downs. And and, and here, uh, what he does is uh, precisely the opposite of what he had done with Saul. Right, Saul. Saul. He had lived out the principle that. Um, we see in uh, we see in um, Romans chapter twelve, verse nineteen, which is "Vengeance is mine; I will repay." That's, by the way, that's a quote from Deuteronomy thirty-two that undoubtedly that um, David was uh, familiar with, and uh, now he's he's going to take vengeance himself. And he's going to do it in such a way that he's not only going to kill Nabal, he's going to kill every single male in the camp. And so he's fleshing out. And isn't it interesting? Now we'll find out that Nabal's name is a fool. Nabal means fool. Now, 
What the story behind that was, I do not know. I have a hard time believing that was his uh, given name at birth, but his name was Fool. And, and it, isn't it interesting when, you know, when he's in the World Series, you could say, which is the most important um, event each year in baseball, he does remarkably wonderful by refraining and exercising self-control with Saul, here some random fool comes along and he completely loses it. And, and Christian, beware of that. Beware of that because oftentimes they're, 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 it's an it's a, it's a interaction with a person who is at heart a fool that will get us in more trouble than everything else combined. Maybe even, li maybe even land us in jail. Uh, some random person we don't even know. And, and, and that's what's happening uh, to David. He is uh, he's completely, completely fleshing out here and doing the very thing he, uh, doing the very thing that he did not do in the previous chapter with Saul, which is exercising self-control. And verse 23 so says, When Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey. She fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. Wow. You know, don't go after Nabal. Don't go after his, man, uh, his men. Just blame me. Let me be the target. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. Nabal means fool. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. In other words, when David sent his men to Nabal for food... She's saying, I wasn't around when that happened. Verse 26. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your own soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And so she's basically telling David in a backhanded way, no, you're not going to do. You're not going to do what you set out to do. You're not going to go uh, shed bloodshed. Bloodshed, and interestingly enough, Romans 12, uh, it says, and you're not going to avenge yourself with your own hand. That would be wrong. That would be against Deuteronomy, is what she is very tactfully telling him in verse 26. Verse 27, and now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. So this gigantic load of food, uh, she says, here, look, here's the food that my husband, name is Nabal, a fool, did not give you. Well, I'm giving it to you now. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord and an, an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. 
Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, verse 31, that this will be no grief to you nor offense of your heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with you, my Lord, remember your maidservant. So I don't know if you, you, uh, you stayed with me there. What she is saying is basically you're going to be king of Israel. You are going to do great things for God. And you won't look back at this, at an incident in which you shed innocent blood, verse 31, and avenged yourself by your own hand. Because in the Bible, you're not supposed to do that. So again, in a backhanded way, she is confronting David. And she's telling him, look, you don't want to do what you're about to do because it's going to ruin your testimony. And David, you're going to have a great testimony someday. And you don't want to look back on what you're thinking about doing, having done it, uh, you're not going to want that. That's going to blight, be a blight on the Lord's testimony uh, in your life. Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. He's saying, wow, thank you. Thank you, Abigail. If you had not come, I would have really, really blown it. And I would have really, really blown it bad. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. You know, I, I have a word here for men. So many times... Uh, I have seen men get into an incredible amount of trouble protecting their respect. You know, this person disrespected me. That person disrespected me. My wife disrespected me. This person who works for me disrespected me. And, uh, you know, when, when the principal occupation of our life becomes guarding our respect, We're going to be in a lot of trouble someday. We're going to be in a, uh, a lot of trouble. And, and here, here you have uh, David. What he did, he was disrespected. He was insulted. He was insulted by Nabal. It's entirely possible that if Nabal didn't insult him, but just said, hey, look, I'm not sure who you are. I don't want to get in the middle of it. I know I've heard great things about you, but no, I'm not going to give you food. But instead, Nabal, 
a fool, insulted him. He disrespected him. And um, he allows that to, uh, he allows his the, uh, being dissed, if you will, disrespected to really trigger him. And he's about to do this terrible thing. It's only because Abigail intervenes by the grace of God. But I tell, you know, I, I've told this to, to men before who seem to, um, uh, you listen to some men and they use the r word respect so much. From time to time I'll say to them, uh, do you realize how many times respect is used in the Bible? Have you ever counted? Have you ever compared the amount of times respect is used in the, bi in the Bible with the, with the word mercy? So mercy is what you do with someone who disrespects you, by the way. So I would say something somewhere in the area of three to five hundred times in the Bible, you get uh, the word mercy or a variant of it in some way. The word respect maybe a half a dozen times in the Bible. Be very, 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 very careful, men, but you women too, to not allow respect to be that which governs your uh, life. Rather, guarding respect towards you to be what governs your life. The Bible says in Micah 6, 8, what, is man what, what, oh man, does, does God require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, love mercy, not just have mercy, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so the, 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 just the importance here and how we get ourselves into, in, into trouble. Jesus says, be merciful as your father. And he, he, he says in Luke chapter 6, he says, be merciful to your enemies. And by that, you will be a son of God because, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It doesn't say, you know, God is, when he's disrespected, he, you know, he has nothing in him but immediate vengeance. No, it's, he's a merciful God. Will there be a day of judgment and vengeance of the Lord? There certainly uh, will be, as there has been those days in the past. And, and, but but, um, but uh, so important. And, and here, Abigail, it has been said, she, she's a type of the Holy Spirit. She comes along. And, and brothers and sisters, man, when you're, when you're fleshing out God is faithful with you and he he will send an abigail in the person of the holy spirit to say look you don't want to do what you're about to do just back off back off the bible says in proverbs 26 5 don't don't answer a fool according to his folly i know sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to do to walk away from a situation like that not have the last word that type of thing but we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in a better way. And so, um, what, a, what a lesson that we have here. It says in verse 36, now, Ab um, and we'll finish up here. Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. 
So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, his wife had told him these things, and his start died within him, and it became like stone. Then it happened after about 10 days. It says, the Lord struck Nabal, uh, and he died. So when uh, David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. In other words, God had vengeance. And by the way, he took out one person rather than every single man. And David said, Blessed be the Lord that I, by the grace of God, I left it to him. And he, it says, and, and David says, Blessed be God and kept his servants, speaking of himself, from evil. Notice how it's called evil there. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head, and David sent and proposed to Ab Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to, to ask you to become his wife. And I, I, I don't know that I recommend that, um, uh, that mode of, of, uh, of proposing, but that's what he does. He sends his servants and Verse 42, Abigail rode, rose in haste, rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galam. And... Uh, uh, that's really strange, by the way. Michael is married to David, and she is given to another man in marriage. And uh, more on that a little later. You know, from time to time, one of the things that um, um, I didn't write the Bible, and thank God I didn't, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I just, I really would have liked more of, of what happens to this woman, Abigail, we really don't know. I think we, we may see her name once or twice again, but um, we don't know. Extraordinary woman. Now, sometimes I, I hear, you know, the argument, oh, she didn't submit to her husband. I mean, we had just been talking about authority, right? Well, uh, in, in chapter 25, she basically goes around her, the own author, uh, authority of her home, even calls him a fool, does something without telling him. And doesn't, doesn't that go um, against the whole principle of authority? And, and uh, I, you know, I, 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 I really feel like there's a simple answer to that question. And it, it's sort of like in the Bible where it says, you know, we're supposed to obey authority except when they make a sin. Um, and, you know, in Acts chapter 4 and other places, when we're, when we're given a choice between obeying God and man and, 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 and someone over us is telling us to sin, we're not going to do it. Uh, and, and in this particular case, it was a, a, a similar thing where to do nothing would have meant the death of her husband and all the men in her house. I would say, in a very real way, that's sin. <laughs> that, that she was protecting uh, not only... Uh, herself and her husband, but the, really the whole community from becoming the victim of, the victim of their, their own sin, which, um, you know, the sin of Nabal was really, because he was the, in the authority of, of the whole community, it was going to uh, infect the whole community. And so she's able to, um, to save him and every other male in her home. And so an extraordinary woman.